All right, guys, thanks a lot. Uh, I want to give you a heads up as we start, as we prepare for the sermon. If you'd like to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. At the end of the sermon, at the end of the sermon, we're going to transition to taking the Lord's Supper. And so if you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus or you have young children with you, we just want to be able to prepare you for that time at the end to let you know we would love to talk to you about the good news of Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, but we're going to have a chance as a, as a church, as followers of Jesus, to celebrate that at the end of the service. And I'll guide you through some details about that, but I just want you to prepare for that. After the Lord's Supper, we'll sing a final song together. When that final song is finished, if you are ready to follow Jesus, or if you need someone to pray with you, we are here at the front. You're going to see some people walking out of the building, people going to get their kids in the preschool. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, we will be here at the front to do that immediately when that last song is over, and we would love to tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus. So we want, want you to be aware of that. As we, get into, uh, as we get into the text this morning, I want you to watch a quick video. Now, it's going to feel unrelated, okay? But we're going to tie the topic of this video back into this study of Matthew chapter 11. And the key is the question that's going to come on the screen at the end of the video. So watch this video just a couple of minutes long, and then we're going to tie it into Matthew chapter 11. every week who get married with unrealistic expectations. Nobody has ever been married without being disappointed in some way. Part of the problem is Western culture dating. I think Western culture dating is just a step above used car sales. Because when I'm dating, the last thing I want is for this person to get to know me because I'm trying to sell myself to this person. I actually am attracted to that person not because I love him or love her, warts, difficulties, failures, brokenness, and all. I, I love myself, and I love what that person will, will do for me. That attraction isn't love. As I'm essentially proposing that marriage is war. What I mean by that is not those skirmishes at the horizontal level between husbands and wives that so often are the content of marriage books, but that marriage is really the product of a deeper war. And that war is fought on the turf of my heart. Think about it, if you ask the average husband what's wrong with his marriage, he probably won't talk about himself, he'll talk about his wife. You ask the average wife what's wrong with the marriage, she probably won't talk about herself. She'll talk about her husband. And because they're buying into this delusion that my biggest problem is outside of me, not inside of me. Each of us carry into our marriages something that is fundamentally destructive to relationships. The Bible actually names it. It's called sin. Sin in its fundamental form is selfish and so it puts inside of me antisocial instincts that are destructive to relationships 
I wrote this book so that people would be able to look into the mirror of the Word of God and begin to see themselves as they actually are and begin to say, maybe it is me. Maybe there are things that I'm wanting, that I'm thinking, that I'm doing that are destructive to this relationship. When you can get a husband to that level of honesty, a wife to that level of honesty, you're at the edge of real good things for the marriage. So even though I was a follower of Jesus, I was still good friends with a lot of the guys who were followers of John the Baptist. These guys didn't understand why I had stopped fasting two days a week, and they didn't really approve of the tax collectors and the sinners that I was hanging out with, but we together had experienced so much at the Jordan River that we remained friends. And so these guys who followed John the Baptist, they came to me one day, and they said, hey, will you go with us to see John? He's in prison. Turns out that John had confronted Herod Antipas, who was the ruler in our part of Palestine. He had confronted Antipas because Antipas had divorced his wife, which actually caused a little war with his ex-father-in-law. He divorced his wife, and then he turned around and he married the wife of his half-brother. John called this out as not being holy, not being righteous, and Herod Antipas threw him into prison. And so I went with the followers of John the Baptist to go and visit John in prison. And when we got to see John in prison, I have to tell you, he was demoralized. He was discouraged. You, you might even say that he was depressed in some ways. And when John spoke to us, he didn't say much. But he said, I need you to go and ask my cousin a question. I need you to go ask Jesus of Nazareth, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait and look for another? And so as we left that place, we went and we found Jesus. I knew it wouldn't be hard to find Jesus because immediately after he sent out the 12 apostles, he went throughout all these little villages and cities teaching and preaching the gospel. And so we found Jesus in a little town of Chorazin. And when we found Jesus, we went up and told him the question that John had asked. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And when we approached Jesus and asked this question, Jesus looked back at us and said, Go and tell John everything that you hear and everything that you see. The blind are given sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor are preached the good news. Now, here's the key. When I heard Jesus say that, I almost jumped up and down. Because I realized in that moment, Jesus was not saying random things. That the things that Jesus had done were not random. What Jesus was doing, he was pulling all of these prophecies from Isaiah right into the present. Everything that I knew from the prophet Isaiah was contained in what Jesus had just said. His answer to John was, the promises from Isaiah have now come true. 
And so we turned around, and we were going to go back and tell John this. And as we turned around to leave, we heard Jesus speaking to the crowd. And he was not putting down John. He wasn't speaking badly about John the Baptist. He told the crowd how John was fulfilling the role of the prophet Elijah. How the good news of God had finally come to his people. And so we went and told John what Jesus had told us. And what I learned in that moment is that following Jesus has almost everything to do with the expectations we have about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. What did we really expect Jesus to do? Who did we really expect Jesus to be? That's the question that gets loaded into Matthew chapter 11 in your Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 11. What did you expect? Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, we obviously can't spend too much time on this one verse that just introduces it, but I do want to point out one phrase. Matthew, five different times in this gospel, will use a phrase about Jesus finishing saying certain things. What happens in Matthew's gospel is you get five speech sections and five action sections. Those five speech sections are actually meant to parallel the five books of the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Matthew gives us five speech sections from Jesus. Every time one of those ends, he gives us kind of the same phrase to say, hey, I'm going to go to something different. So you have that right there. Also, I want you to see kind of a, a laid out in two tables here. I want you to see what, what Matthew is doing in his gospel. The way you need to read this slide is start at the top left, work down to the bottom, and then back up, okay? So we have the John the Baptist section in chapter 3, followed by a description of Jesus' ministry, followed by him calling the disciples, followed by a summary of what has happened, and then the Sermon on the Mount, kingdom words. Now you work yourself back up the other way and look at how Matthew has paralleled and pulled all these things together. Kingdom words is then paralleled by chapters 8 through 9, these kingdom actions. Summary statement, the disciples who were earlier called are now sent out, Another really short description of Jesus' ministry, and then a section about John the Baptist that ties back into that original section about John the Baptist. I'm telling you, if you're OCD, Matthew's your guy. Like, it's incredible. He is so, he is so structured. It's like he was a tax collector or an accountant or something like that. Like, it all, it all works. It's incredible the way the Gospel of Matthew works, how all this is put together. So what we have now today is this John the Baptist section in chapter 11. Okay, chapter 11, verse 2. So when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? Right there, we have this reference to John being in prison. Let me show you just for a second to see the connection that I told in that story earlier in chapter 14 of Matthew in Matthew chapter 14, the first couple of verses there in Matthew 14, I think it's Matthew 14, 2 through 3. You guys jump ahead to that next slide. There we go, think, or 3 to 4, there we go. It says in Matthew chapter 14, For Herod Antipas had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, 
his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. John was doing the role of the prophet. He was calling those in power to account for their lack of holiness, for their lack of righteousness. And so he does this, and he gets him thrown in, into prison. Look back in chapter 11, again, there in verse 2. So John is in prison, and what does he hear about? He hears about the deeds of the Christ. What do you mean the deeds of the Christ? We mean Matthew chapter 5 through 10. <laughs> Everything that has come before this section, 5 through 10, this is kind of what's being referred to there, the deeds of the Christ. The key phrase here, though, or the key word is the word Christ. The word Christ is connected directly to the word Messiah. When you hear Messiah, think Christ. When you hear Christ, think Messiah. Those two words are exactly the same. And it means the anointed one, the one established to be the king of God's people, to come and rescue God's people. And there were all kinds of expectations. Here's the key. There were all kinds of expectations about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would be like. And what Matthew does in his gospel is until you get to the end of the gospel, you really only find three references to the Christ. In the birth story, we have a preview that, hey, this baby being born is going to be the Christ. So Matthew kind of gives away the story and says up front, Jesus is the Christ. Then, here in this section about John the Baptist, he gives it away, here's the Christ. And then when Peter in chapter 16 that we'll get to later, when Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, that's the other time we see this reference to the Christ, the one who would come in, in Peter's core statement there. Look just for a second in, um, in chapter, I mean, I've got a couple of verses from, verse, from chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, this idea that John is asking who is the one who is to come, this is the section where John the Baptist is going to baptize Jesus. Matthew 3 John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming, there's our key phrase, the Christ, the one who was to come, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. John is saying, the one who is to come, he is going to be greater than I am. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay. Now, to, to load up what's going to come so we understand why John gets confused about the Christ, pay attention to that slide. That's intense language. Winnowing fork, clear his threshing floor, burn the chaff. You get the feel, right? Like, this, this, is, pretty, this is pretty intense language. So then go back to chapter 11 again, verses 2 through 3, and you get the question that John asks here. He says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? When you read John's question, we shouldn't hear anger. I don't think this is an angry question, but John is experiencing some doubt. He's experiencing some confusion. I thought the one that I baptized was going to be the Christ. He was going to come as the king who was going to rescue God's people. He was going to bring judgment, and I'm in prison. Something is not right about this. What, what's going on out there with Jesus' ministry? This is not what I expected when I said that the Christ was going to come. 
Let me show you some expectations that John had. John had an expectation that judgment was coming imminently. It was coming soon. So I'm baptizing Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's going to come and bring judgment. But what does Jesus spend most of his time doing? Healing, preaching, caring for those in need. John's like, hey, if, if you're the Christ, where's the judgment? I'm waiting for it. He wanted preaching that was going to be rebuking and fiery. I realize that some people really enjoy that type of preaching. I realize that I'm really bad at that type of preaching, but John wanted that type of preaching. He was like, if this is going to be the Messiah, I need some fire in my sermon. I I need some rebuke. And what does Jesus keep doing? He keeps preaching good news to the poor. He keeps preaching mercy and peace and hope. Use of power against human evil. Why are you just letting the Roman military walk around and continue to be in charge? All you do, Jesus, is heal the military centurion's son. (laughs) All you do is drive out demons. Why not drive out Rome while you're at it? Why are you worried about demons when when we have Rome? Protection of God's people. I'm in prison. I'm the one who set the stage for you to come. How did I end up here if you're the one to come? And separation from unholy and evil. When the Messiah came, there was supposed to be a clear distinction between who was with God and who was, with not, who was outside of God's kingdom. What does Jesus do in his ministry? He keeps hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. He keeps saying really strange things like, many will come from the east and west, but the sons of the kingdom will be thrown outside. As best I can, trying to set this up for you, do, do you feel where John's question comes from? He has this expectation That when Jesus shows up as the Christ, this should happen. It hasn't happened. And what's occurred? Or what's been the result? He's doubting. He's discouraged. You probably could borderline use the word depressed in this situation. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever had expectations about what God should do in your life? Or expectations of how God should work in a particular situation? and he doesn't work the way you expected or the way you wanted, what happens in that situation? A little bit of doubt, maybe a little bit of despair, discouragement, depression. God, you were supposed to do this, or I expected, I expected when I got married, it would be like X, and it has not been like that. (laughs) I expected when we had kids, It would just be free maid service around the house. I did not know it was going to be this hard. Did not expect this. When I took a new job, I expected one thing in that job, and I got something completely different. When we called a new preacher to the church, I expected him to be one way. I did not know we were signing up for this. When I joined this church, I expected one thing to happen, and You see how this works, right? We have expectations of what we believe God should do in a situation, what we believe that Christ should do in a situation, and when that doesn't happen, doubts start coming to the surface. And if we're not careful, those doubts turn into, is God really good? Is Jesus really worth it? Where's this story really heading? Is this church, is this friendship, is this marriage, is it really worth it? Is this really what God had 
in mind for our lives. You feel the weight of that, right? Then watch what Jesus does in the next verse. He doesn't tell us to lower expectations, by the way. Chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What Jesus is doing in this situation is he is allowing the people to see a theo- let me Let me make sure we say this in a way that's going to be helpful, helpful to you. What Jesus does when their expectations are not met, when they have questions about expectations, is he backs up and he gives them a big picture theological framework for what it's going to look like for God to work in the world. So let's explain this, okay? All these phrases that Jesus is using up here, I'm going to show you in just a second where they come from the book of Isaiah. And so what Jesus does is people are struggling. This is not what we expected the Messiah to be like. This is not the life I signed up for. I did not know the kingdom of God was going to be like this. And so Jesus backs up, and he gives them the big picture theological framework of this is actually what God is up to. (laughs) This is what's going on. Because what happens, what happens in my life and what happens in your life is when the marriage isn't going well, when parenting's not going well, when job's not going well, when whatever you're a part of, church is not going well, when those things are not going well, we get so centered on what's right in front of us that we can't see the big picture, can we? We, everything feels like bad news. Everything feels overwhelming. All we do is get tied into this right here, and Jesus says, hey, let me help you back up and see all these promises that God has for his people. All this good news. So he gives them good news and he helps them to see the big picture of what God is doing in the world. Now here's the interesting thing. These verses that I'm going to show you in a second from Isaiah, every one of these verses has in the context of the verse, so close to the verse in Isaiah, has an element of judgment associated with it. Okay, So judgment is there. Jesus, though, is using the portion about the good news. Here's what Jesus is doing for them. He is telling them, hey, guess what? Judgment is still coming. I have not forgot about the Roman Empire. I haven't forgot that John is in prison. Judgment is still coming, but right now you need to hear the good news. You need to be reminded of what God is up to. I'll take care of the judgment at the right time in the right way. It's not your place to judge. It's your place to be reminded of how good God is and what he's up to in your life. So let's look at these in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6. See if this sounds familiar. (laughs) Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute seen for joy. Jesus has taken Isaiah 35, and he's put it right into the middle of John's question and says, if you want to know what the Messiah looks like, what's going to happen when the Messiah comes, this is what it's going to look like. He also pulls from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That verse is not only used in Matthew 11 as the background, but you find that other places in reference to Jesus' life and ministry. Not only that, 
But Isaiah 61 is actually the background foundation to the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So what Jesus is doing is he's pulling all these Isaiah promises into his ministry and saying this is what it looks like when the Messiah comes. Isaiah 26, 9. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. It's sometimes a little tricky in the Old Testament to find out references to resurrection. Like, hey, does the Old Testament ever talk about resurrection? This is one of those verses. There are probably four or five that we go to most, most often to talk about resurrection from the Old Testament. But Jesus is pulling in this Isaiah material right here from chapter 26. So, expectation. John misunderstood what it was going to look like for the Messiah to come. Jesus responds by showing the good news. Now watch what he does in the next verse because he's going to deal with misunderstandings that the crowd has. Verse 7, or verse 6, I'm sorry. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is able to have unmet expectations and yet continue to trust me. Blessed is the one whose life is not going well, but who still believes that the good news is true. Blessed is the one who is able to continue to trust, even when you can't see. Now verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So he's going to turn around and he's going to address a misunderstanding that the crowds have about what's going on. So he began to speak to the crowds. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? All right. Jesus is going to come to John the Baptist's defense at this point. He's going to show who John was really meant to be. Who'd you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, this was language, this was imagery for someone who was easily swayed by opinions. We know that's not true of John, right? Because he called the ruler, Herod Antipas, to account for the way he lived. John had a backbone. John was not easily swayed. Jesus says, if you want to go out and find somebody who will just say what you want to hear, who will just tickle your ears, John was not the right guy to pick for that. Next verse, verse 8. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in Keen's houses. What did John wear? You kids know the answer to that. That, that camel hair that, that he wore. This was not soft clothing. You also see what Jesus is doing here a little bit. He is he's kind of provoking a little bit or, or condemning Herod Antipas. He's like, if you want to see people who have great prestige, go to the king's house. If you want to see someone who really lived for me, you went out to see John. He didn't wear soft clothing. Verse 9, what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. When you went out to see John, you didn't just go see another crazy man in the wilderness. What you went out to see with John was the final prophet. The one who was going to be the forerunner, the one who was going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Because verse 10 says this, This is the he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. If you look at the screen, that verse right there comes directly from Malachi chapter 3. So Jesus, before, was pulling from Isaiah to give them the good news of the kingdom. 
Now, in the second half of the story in Matthew 11, he's going to switch over to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. Does that sound familiar language? He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Jesus is telling the crowd, what John said was true. John was playing the role that he would be the final prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord to return to his people and for the kingdom to come. The kingdom is coming. It's happening. I know it doesn't look the way you expect, but it is happening. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he meaning the one who is able to trust in me, the one who is able to see the work of the Messiah come to fulfillment is going to be even greater than the work of John the Baptist. If, if, you'll, if we'll be careful with this language, one of the ways you can understand this is John is the bridge figure from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Um, I know that's churchy language, so if that doesn't land well with you when I say that, the Old Testament, the, the old way of doing things that we see in the Old Testament, John is the bridge that is going to point the way to the coming of the Messiah who is going to bring the New Testament, the new covenant that's going to come through Jesus. And so, Jesus is saying, John does belong to the old way, but everyone who is a part of the kingdom of heaven through me is going to be even in greater position than even John himself. He's this figure. Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist... Until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. When you look at your Bible, if the wording looks a little bit different there, it's because that verse is extremely hard to translate. There are all kinds of controversies about how to make sense of that verse. The key to that verse is Jesus is telling them, when the kingdom of God comes, guess what? There's going to be opposition. In other words, don't be surprised when hard things come, just because the kingdom of God has come, just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean life is going to be easy. We know that here. It's really hard to know that here, especially when hard things come into your life. Do I continue to trust the Lord through the middle of what's happening? Verse 13, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, if you'll trust me, I'm telling you that he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear. In other words, the one who's willing to receive this, trust me, believe this to be true, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I want you to see on the screen what Jesus has done at this point is he has taken the very last words in our Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. How will we know when the day of the Lord has come? When Elijah comes again, Jesus says, that's happened. That's John the Baptist. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. The Old Testament ends with this tension between hope and judgment which is going to happen, which is going to wind out. And then the story of the New Testament is watching that play out through the ministry of Jesus, who ultimately brings that hope and good news. 
Okay, here's what I want to do at this point. So we have the question, what did you expect? When the Messiah came, when you became a follower of Jesus, what did you expect? What did you have in mind that was going to look like? What did you expect? And Jesus says, what you expected, what you should have expected, was that the king would come to bring good news. He hadn't forgot about judgment, but he came to bring good news. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. We're going to transition to the Lord's Supper, but we're going to do that by connecting our question, what did you expect, with Luke chapter 24. Now, as a good member of Emmaus, I know that you have Luke 24 dog-eared in your Bible, always ready to open, all right, when anyone asks you about the church you're a part of, because this is our Emmaus passage, all right? So if you don't already, take that as my passive-aggressive hint to dog-ear Luke chapter 24 and make this your friend, okay, since you're, since you're a part of Emmaus. Question number one, what did you expect? Question number two, what did we actually get? Question number one, what did we expect? Question number two, what did we actually get? Luke 24, when you pick it up in verse 13, it says that very day, two of them were going along to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And so, then you're going to get this, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit, but you're going to get Jesus coming up to them and asking them, hey, what are you talking about? They say, well, we're talking about Jesus. Have you been living under a rock? What's going on? You go ahead to verse 19. He said, what things are you talking about? Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Look at this phrase. Oh, man, in 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What did they have? They had expectations about what Jesus was going to do. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Go down to verse 25. Jesus says to them, after he begins to speak, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look down at verse 28. They drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And then they said to each other in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then the final slide here, verse 33. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. Let's summarize it like this. What did they get? Remember, what did they expect? They were waiting on a military ruler, a king, to come in to pronounce judgment on the Romans, to drive them out, and to bring nationalistic victory to the people. What did they get? They got supper and the scriptures. 
They got the scriptures fulfilled and they got the presence of Jesus with them, giving his body and his blood, breaking the bread with them, presence with them of the crucified and resurrected Jesus, and also presence with the church to do this together with one another. Hear me out on this. We have all kinds of expectations for what should happen in our lives. For many of you, in fact, for most of us, let's be honest, in some way, life has not gone the way we expected. There have been hard things that we never expected that have come. What do you need when that happens? Do you know what you need when that happens? You need the scriptures and you need supper. (laughs) You need to be reminded of how all of the scriptures have pointed to the good news of Jesus and you need to be able to gather and eat a meal with one another. You need God's people in your life and you need to be able to gather around the table with the church to remember the one who gave his life for you. When you are hurting, when you are doubting, when you are uncertain, when you are going through things that you never expected, remember, connected to God's word, to the scriptures, connected to God's people through supper, through sharing life, and through sharing the table together. And that's what we're going to do right now. If you are helping with the Lord's Supper, would you move to one of the tables right now? We come to this time remembering the one who gave his life for us. Remembering the one who broke bread with these disciples and their eyes were open and they saw, oh yeah, this is what it looks like when the Messiah comes. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven arrives. That we are gathered together in this simple way. The Lord's Supper, in many ways, is very simple, but that's God's gift to us, that it is simple. And so as these plates are passed around, you're going to take two cups that are stacked together. Hold those cups, and we're going to take of those elements together in worship of God. They're going to come around at this time, grab those cups, hold them, and then we will celebrate this Lord's Supper together in just a moment. And you all can begin to pass those as as you're ready to go.
All right. As we uh, prepare to take these elements together, remembering the one who gave his life for us, sometimes when those cups get stacked together, if they get stuck, just twist them a little bit. I know that happened with the one, the one I got here. I want to remind you of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take and eat together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Emmaus, would you stand right now? We're going to sing a song of celebration of the hope that we have in Christ. Immediately when this song is finished, you're dismissed. But please do not leave this place. I beg you, do not leave this place. If you need someone to pray with you, if you want to know more about following Jesus, if you want to know more about what has happened here, we stay right here at the front. We'd love to be able to pray for you. Let's sing together right now.